3: It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest
4: moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's a, a Tuesday, and we have a lot to discuss. The world's on fire in many respects, but we're going to work our way through it. We also have the latest on 2024. We'll stay on top of that. Of course, no Mike Pence. We'll see who's going to qualify. Right now, it gets down to the Doug Burgum, as well as uh, Tim Scott. Can they get? They have the. Uh, can they get the poll numbers up? Uh, they have the donors. Can they get the poll numbers up? That's going to be key to get them on stage. Right now, there's just five on stage, and so far, Donald Trump is just dominating. At the bottom of the aisle, Patrick Murphy's going to be with us. He was uh, 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War vet, uh, former congressman of Pennsylvania. We're going to be bringing him in the latest. There's a huge fracture in the Democratic Party. We'll see what he thinks about that. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. To me, anti-Semitism was something that many, many years ago in this country was kind of common. It was casual, but it was widespread. I thought it had become a sentiment that you never wanted to be caught dead expressing. I guess not, because what we're seeing now is a lot more of it than I ever imagined even existed.
4: Brett Hume is stunned, and so am I. Protests, anti-Semitic hate, threats plaguing college campuses in many cities and states in America... And around the world this after the worst attack on Israel in their history where does this come from and how can we stop it
6: number two
4: and what's the message to
6: Iran don't if you're thinking about jumping in here and you're thinking about deepening and widening and escalating uh, don't do it
4: don't our forces did and they were attacked again thank you Iran this even after the White House says don't 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 Iran backed militias are daring us to hit back Will we have to wait for a new president to defend ourselves?
6: Number one.
4: Calls for a ceasefire
7: are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas. That will not happen.
4: No joke. This
7: is a time for war.
4: Uh, no joke. March on Gaza moves forward. Key mastermind of o- October 7th killings and a hostage rescued as Israel refuses a ceasefire. And I can't blame them. And we should stop asking them to. Humanitarian aid, if there's a new strategy to get in there, that's fine. But they do have fuel. Hamas does. There is aid. Hamas has it. And there is a concern that Hamas is going to get a lot of the humanitarian aid. But the problem is the trucks coming through don't have security. But let's get them through. I get it. The president of the United States over the weekend told Benjamin Netanyahu, you have to restore the Internet status so people can communicate. I guess that's all right. If uh, if you feel you can fight that way, that's fine. But right now, what happened to Israel is as if forty five thousand Americans died in three hours. If you just extrapolate out the population that they have forty five thousand. If we have lost forty five thousand people in three hours, would you listen to anybody that said, hey, America, don't overreact. Let's call a ceasefire. And, you know, everybody wants the hostages out. But I love the fact that there was one rescued and that one rescued a military officer. And she is talking. We're going to get details. Trey Yinkst was briefed by the defense minister of uh, Israel. And he can't really say yet where she was found. But, man, this could be the key. Wouldn't it be great instead of defending on Cutter, who's playing both sides of the fence, if they're all on our fence at all, uh, then not have to deal with them. Just go get them. Go get them, because there is so many, 239 right now, even though we've gotten five out since. So here's more from the prime minister, cut to, In fighting
7: Hamas and the Iranian axis of terror, Israel is fighting the enemies of civilization itself. Victory over these enemies begins with moral clarity. It begins with knowing the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a turning point, a turning point for leaders and nations.
4: So, look, today there's a major security uh, committee meeting between the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State. They're going to talk about the dangers here at home and what's happening overseas and not just and also where our money's going exactly. I I mean, I don't love the fact that we found out later you're playing Ukrainians pension plans. We can't do that. We got to make sure there's no grift in the system. But I'm not worried about the Israelis maximizing the aid that we're giving. I do agree with J.D. Vance. We've got to make sure we're not depleting our reserves uh, without even not without a plan to replenish rapidly. And financing may be needed to do that. Meanwhile, Hezbollah is increasing military activity near the border. They hit. uh, So in response, it looks like the Israelis have hit bases in Syria. And guess what happened today? The Houthi rebels had a surface-to-surface uh, cruise missile shot from their land over in Yemen to Israel, knocked out of the sky by the Arrow uh, Missile Defense System, which was co-founded and co-invented by us. So now it looks like Israel has to look at rockets from Hamas and go in for on the attack, look out and be ready to attack Hezbollah in Lebanon, look out and ready to attack Hezbollah, Hezbollah affiliates, and Iranian affiliates in Syria, and now have to block missiles from the Houthi rebels in Yemen. What do they have in common? This is all Iran. Guess who hit us? Iranian-affiliated uh, uh, Iranian and financed militias in Iraq. Went for the 25th attack on our guys. We've hit them back one time. One time. Here's Victor Davis Hanson, a military historian, Cut 13.
8: They can get away with this, Laura,
9: historically when they have a hard left base and they can veneer it over with a very rhetorical, mellifluous Barack Obama or Bill Clinton. They get away with it. But otherwise, when they have a George McGovern or a Jimmy Carter, it doesn't
7: work. And that left becomes more pronounced. And that's what Joe Biden is. He's a force multiplier because of his cognitive problems and really his meanness, his corruption
9: problems. He's a force multiplier of this division. And we're starting to see now this Gaza really tore this scab off. And we're seeing a putrid wound of what the
4: Democratic Party is. You know, we played the whole don't montage. Do you believe the president just gets an answer, gets a question from Scott Pelley and says, what would you say to Iran who wanted to attack our assets in the region? Don't. And now we have a secretary of state, you have Admiral Kirby saying, don't, 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 as if it's a catchphrase like peace through strength. That really is a, some, a sentence that means something. But you say don't and they keep hitting us and he keeps saying don't. And you cannot ask men and women to serve in a war zone and not allow them to defend themselves only depending on missile defense and the ineptness of the enemy. Hugh Senator Lindsey Graham, cut 16.
0: Here's what I would do uh, if I were president of the United States. I would tell Iran, if there's any more attack on our troops in Syria and Iraq, you will be out of the oil business. I would tell Iran that Hezbollah uh, front opens up against Israel, you'll be out of the oil business. That we will declare you the enemy of the United States.
4: Yeah, I think that would work. But the problem is, Senator Graham, you don't really speak to the president of the United States. You can't, ta- you can't handle... What he's become. And you've noticed how inept, uh, how overmatched he is. Look, for the best president. For the best president, this is tough. You got challenges in Ukraine. You got challenges in Taiwan. You got economic challenges at home. You got high interest rates. Thanks a lot to your spending and uh, previous re- regimes, but not like you. You did a series of spending programs that were totally unnecessary. And now you have uh, the interest rates at 8%. So you got challenges economically. You try to tell us everything's great, but you have 37% approval rating on the economy. I think it's actually 32%. And that's whatever you tell us, the American people aren't buying it. And overseas, you got multiple forces working against you. And all you're doing is knuckling under and trying to do what you do best, and that's blame MAGA Republicans. Look, there was a time last week. For 22 days, in which Republicans were the problem, they couldn't have a speaker. You can't get any legislation through. You couldn't meet with committees. You couldn't do any investigations. But that's over now. The big story is the division among Democrats about this funding and about this war and about our posture and policy when it comes to uh, when it comes to Israel. You got Cory Bush and the whole squad to leave. They don't want any funding. They want a ceasefire. You got to pre- and critical of the president, Democrat, and the president say we're not going to have a ceasefire. But working with Bob uh, Netanyahu behind the scenes, saying you got to take it easy. You got to easy with civilians. We're not aiming for civilians. So you just got to win. So that's going on. And then you have financing for Zelensky in, U- in in Ukraine. I think it's necessary, but the president doesn't effectively explain it. So therefore, the the support for that war is waning. And then you have China, Iran. Russia, North Korea working together against our interests. We need everybody, all hands on deck, with a coherent strategy to push back, fight back. The good news is we got a better product, we got a better economy, we've got a better military than all of them. we got loyal allies and friends, not transactional uh, axis of evil partners. We have legitimate friends in the world. We are helping people in the world. That gets a little bit of loyalty, a little bit. But in terms of what's happening with we Democrat or Democrat, you have Debbie Wasserman Schultz going after every member of the squad. Not kidding. You have uh, Jared Moskowitz, who says that I will vote for the bill of just Israel only, but it's going to be dead on arrival. You have Josh Gottheimer. From the Problem Solvers Caucus in New Jersey, who wrote on X on the social media platform that Democrats who voted against a measure expressing solidarity to Israel are despicable and do not speak for our party. Then you have Andre Carson of Indiana, who sees that and says, well, he's a punk and a coward, and maybe we should settle these things a different way. Really? The critics of Israel have been emboldened. And they've been emboldened on the Democratic side, fighting with Democratic presidents and Democratic moderates. Don't blame it on Speaker Johnson, Kevin McCarthy, or even uh, Matt Gates or Mitch McConnell. And certainly not President Trump. But man, how much does it much bother Democrats that when they look at the polls, President Trump, with four indictments and maybe 90 counts against him, most of which are total farce, farcical, is beating Joe Biden in almost every battleground state, including Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back and take your calls. Bottom of the hour, we get a Democratic perspective on the fracturing Democratic Party. Uh, So glad you're here. Don't move.
3: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade.
2: Going into UC Berkeley, I was really helpful. And I was really hopeful of four years of education and learning and being alongside my peers And now I'm looking at peers that are supporting terrorists, that are supporting violence, that are supporting innocent Israelis getting murdered. And it's hard to say because I feel so unsafe every single day going on campus. I feel unsafe sitting in classes next to peers that are supporting these terrible acts and listening to professors that are also supporting this. So unless this institutional damage is adjusted and changed, no, I will not feel safe at UC Berkeley as a Jewish student.
4: Wow, that is Daniel uh, Sobkin she was on Fox and Friends first. UC Berkeley is a problem. Like Columbia is a problem. Like NYU is a problem. Like uh, Cornell, Tulane is a problem. I mean, what? I would love to hear from all of you what is going on on campus and why. Because the Israelis are, and the Jewish community is victims of the most brutal ambush terror activity that I could ever hear of. How they all of a sudden are the problem. They're not the problem. Everybody knows they're not the problem. Why they're directing it at students, but this is probably the idiocy that's going on in campus in the so-called elite institutions that cost your parents $80,000 to go to. An NYU student, Allison Lacks, on this. Cut 24.
2: Just to echo what Sabrina said, I've also been a face of this at NYU. I, I, people know who I am. I get death threats daily on Instagram. It's very scary. In class, I sit next to my peers who cheer on Hamas and support the murder of over 1,400 innocent Israelis. I mean, it's really horrible, and I don't think I'm ever going to feel safe
4: again on campus. Well, uh, NYU is just insane anyway. I mean, to live in the city is a challenge, but it's fun. But to go to NYU where there's not really a campus, you're really isolated on your own. So if you go on their campus housing, somewhat of a discount. But that is as left-wing and purple-haired and nose-ringed as you're going to get. And if you are somewhat moderate, dare I say conservative, or just pro-American— You're going to feel like a fish out of water as your parents write a $92,000 check every year to that university. Insane. Meanwhile, an open letter from 100 Colombian university professors on the student response to the war in Israel. Because there's been some crackdown and backlash when these people protested against Israel and for Hamas. Saying, as scholars, we are committed to robust inquiry about the most challenging matters of our time. We feel compelled to respond to those who label our students anti-Semitic if they express empathy for the lives of dignity of Palestinians. Or if they signed on a student-written statement that that situated the military action beginning on October 7th within the larger context of occupation of Palestine by Israel. We have read the statements carefully, and it's worth pointing out that the argument it makes echoes those made both by government and non-government agencies and institutions at the highest level for a number of years. In our view, the student statement aims to recontextualize the events of October 7, 2023. So the students came out and told everybody the Jews really deserved it and the Israelis really deserved it, and they got backlash and these professors are saying, I agree, and they shouldn't get backlash. Meanwhile, anti-Semitic hate is up in, uh, in America 388 uh, percent from October 7th to October 23rd. Can you believe we're talking about this? Governor Hochul, to her credit, met with Cornell students Monday, where she announced heightened security on campus statewide after the increase in anti-Semitic threats would I just relate to you. And just goes to show you— Many just don't want to believe what happened there, so many should go out and read about it or catch the video or request to see the horrific video and all its uh, ugliness. A Yale campus newspaper, there was a writer there, pro-Israeli, that wanted to write about the details of what went on on October 7th and why they need to go in and wipe out Hamas. Well, according to the New York Post, the Yale newspaper, they, they talked about beheading and raping women, well, it was edited by the editor who came back and said, "No, we can't prove that that actually happened, so we're taking it out of the column." Really, they can't, pro- t- they can't prove that Hamas raped women and beheaded men. Do you know they just recovered the beheaded, 23-year-old German Israeli student had her head cut off? I'm sorry, did you did we write? Did she not write women beheaded? She should shouldn't have written men. Women, no, didn't happen. Really. Uh, Hamas women rape women. Are you kidding? All of this stuff has been proven, but not in Yale. So the writer of the column, this Yale sophomore, Sahar Tartak, said this. I'm still collecting my thoughts on the editor's egregious correction. But then again, what Professor Christisk has and others have said does the job. So people are choosing not to believe the carnage that took place. Here's Britt Hume, Cut 25.
5: To me, anti-Semitism was something that many, many years ago in this country was kind of common. It was casual, but it was widespread. I thought it had become a sentiment that you never wanted to be caught dead expressing, even what it, no matter what you felt, that it was unacceptable, taboo. Uh, I guess not, because what we're seeing now is a lot more of it than I ever imagined even existed. And the, situa- and the college administrators have been very tepid in many of their responses to this.
4: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We come back, Patrick Murphy, Democrat, on the fracturing of his party, the anti-Semitism cropping up, the war in Israel, and 2024. And what would he do if he was on that military base, because he's a military veteran, and you were told you can't attack the militias that attacked you? Brian Kilmeade Show, lot going on, so glad you're with us.
3: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: So what they did over the last three weeks is basically the same as we would do in the Marine Corps, which is we call it shaping the battlefield. You're, you're softening up the battlefield with artillery, with uh, aircraft launch munitions, with missiles in a, in a hope to set the conditions for a ground invasion. And then in the early stages, what you'll see is what the IDF did, which is probing, running feints, or in civilian terms be like fake outs to sort of gauge what the response is before they start rolling the troops in heavy. And I think what we're seeing right now is the initial stages of them starting to roll in the troops heavy after uh, shaping the battlefield for three weeks.
4: The is a military intelligence officer on Fox & Friends Lieutenant Colonel John Myers talking about what's happened over the last three weeks and what's happening now as Israel is moving into Gaza. They're about two miles in after bombing for about three weeks uh, prior to that and targeting and also getting a lot of surveillance Yesterday, a big day. Uh, they killed one of the Hamas leaders, the one that, uh, that really scheduled their hang glider attacks, a lot of their drone attacks. He's dead. Uh, there's many more to go. And they were able to rescue a hostage. Uh, Patrick Murphy with us now, with the 30, uh, was the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War veteran, former congressman, uh, Democrat from Pennsylvania. Uh, Patrick, welcome back. Brian, thanks so much for having me. Uh, first off, uh, there's that whole two or three weeks, many people thought that that was just a sense that America was holding back uh, Benjamin Netanyahu from attacking. But do you think militarily it was wise to start with uh, an aerial campaign?
10: Yeah, I mean, they were trying to set the standard so that basically the people of the Palestinian people could stand up a little bit and they have the majority of Palestinian people want peace. Actually it's the mass terrorist organization. I've never seen the-
4: I haven't seen any Palestinian speaking up saying, well, this is not us. We're not Hamas. We feel terrible about October 7th, anything.
10: Yeah. And and part of this is the indoctrination in their schools where they're, they're educated, they're trained to they hate uh, the Israel people. Uh, and you're seeing the same indoctrination across the world. Uh, and that's why I see so much anti-Semitism on the rise all across the world, including here in the United States of America.
4: What do you think Hamas knew they were going to get hit after they uh, after October seventh? They were preparing for it. They're almost baiting them in, and the hostage taking the hostages guaranteed they would come in. So, is what is Israel doing by taking this a hundred yards at a time rather than a hundred miles? Uh,
10: one, you don't want to overextend yourself, right? Um, you know, we learned not even in the Iraq War. Uh, you know, as part of the invasion force. You know, when I was with the Second Airborne Division. Because we were so aggressive. Originally, our combat brigade, we were supposed to jump into the Baghdad airport. But because we were going so fast up to Osama, Fallujah, down from Kuwait, we, our supply lines got hit. So that's why you have POWs like Jessica Lynch, if you remember that, and some other sure. things of that nature. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you can not just get through there but maintain and hold. And this is, this is going to be, you know, urban, in a lot of cases, urban combat with those tunnels. I mean, well, They
4: seem to be leveling the city first and changing it to rubble combat. Combat.
10: Yeah, well, but that's – it gives people obviously cover and concealment. So, again, this is – the IDF is no joke. The Israel Defense Forces are are, are some of the best warriors in this world. Uh, But I will tell you that it's going to be a bloody mess. And we're not talking weeks here. We're talking not even months. This is going to be an ongoing effort. And we have to have – a steel spine as right. Americans realize that we cannot look the other way when terrorists attack against our valued friends and people who love freedom and liberty and justice, and the rest of the world might turn a blind eye toward them, but mm-hmm. we can't at this time.
4: Well, we seem to the Americans losing interest in the uh, Ukraine war, even though it's cost us. You know, it's cost us a lot. Uh, you know, uh, ninety billion dollars of equipment. Uh, it's cost the EU roughly 80000000000 billion. They've paid up their share. I think they're getting – according to General Jack Keene, they're getting a bad rap of not stepping up because they are – they could be doing more, but they are doing a lot. And now in this situation, there's all pressure around the world and within our own country to push for a ceasefire. Should we?
10: No, no. I, there's one – it's the difference between a ceasefire – I mean, if you want to say pause for, you know, some type of humanitarian aid to get in there. And again, we all – we all don't want innocent children to get hurt. That's and, why they're dropping you know,
4: flyers and pushing themselves.
10: Right, right. But and that's why they said, Hey, evacuate evacuate, evacuate, evacuate and Hamas is not letting their own people evacuate because again, they spent the last several years building out those tunnels, underground tunnels, uh, instead of putting it toward the people that govern them, the invest in schools and the hospitals, et cetera, and the infrastructure that those people need. Uh and that's what I think that's what breaks breaks all of us that follow the Middle East and follow that region. It breaks our hearts because you see bad leadership in action here. And the results of that bad leadership has a people that um, they don't love Hamas, the people that the terrorist organization unfortunately governs them. uh, But we need them to stand up and patriots stand up and and say enough is enough. We want peace for our kids.
4: So the Houthi rebels uh, shot a service to service missile knocked down by a missile defense system we co-invented with the Israelis. The IRO. All right. Yeah, the uh, the arrow. And then you have, you know, we you have the Iron Dome. Got it. So they now have to deal with the Houthi rebels. We knocked him out first with a destroyer and then the Saudis knocked him out once. And now they're coming over to Israel. Then you have the Hezbollah and then you have uh, whatever's coming out of Syria. They bombed last night. The Israelis bombed in Hezbollah in the response. And we have the ongoing action in with Hamas. Can the Israelis handle this?
10: Yeah, listen, we talk about the iron will of the Ukrainian people. The iron will of the, the Israel people is, is, is second to none. Uh, they understand that, that this is a existential threat um, to not just their country, but the Jews all over the world. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of freedom-loving
4: countries and nations stepping up, uh, and we need more to do that. But but who is stepping up? Besides us, who's stepping up? I noticed that some people aren't stepping uh, stepping against, like, for example, Saudi Arabia— uh, the UAE Bahrain they've been keeping their powder dry but Turkey threatening to go into Gaza taking on Israel and then you have Jordan being very belligerent considering he basically goes to co- went to college here and lives here and likes to hang out with movie stars and General Assisi why is why are these guys seemingly against us
10: well I think they some of them again I'm not saying me I'm saying that the, their viewpoint is is that um, Netanyahu has been a little bit too little too rough and, and not trying to find peace and but was too aggressive in, in the settlements. And, and that's their viewpoint. Uh, and when they, at the time they, on the West Bank. Peace. Yeah. But, but um, at the end of the day, that's reset. You know, that was a massive terrorist attack. That's when not just 1400 Israels were captured and killed uh, and then taken hostage. There's people like from Bucks County, Joy Samantov. So she was a grandmother The Israeli terrorist went in there. I'm sorry, the Hamas terrorist went in there. Um, They not just shot her. She was trying to go to her escape room. They shot her her son, his wife, their three kids, their Mm -hmm. three grandchildren, got in a safe room. So you know what they did? They burnt the house down and killed them all. We're talking about gang rapes of children. I mean, what they're doing is indescribable. And what I think most folks in America throughout the world is – There are bad actors out there. There are bad people out there. But, you know, when I was at church this Sunday, you know, what the Bible teaches all of us is that love your brother as you love yourself. You cannot look the other way when bad things happen. And I'm not trying to say America has to be the police in the world all the time. But let me tell you something. Under our watch, we can't let it happen. And it's not just about Israel people. Brian, you know, my first combat deployment was after 9-11 was saving Muslims in Bosnia and Kosovo. We saved Muslims there when they were killing Muslims, loading them up on buses, shipped them out in towns like srebrenica where they would execute them on the side of the road. And it was under the America's watch, we said, and that was in Europe, it was the worst ethnic cleansing since World War II. And we stopped Muslims from getting killed. We, in America, we don't care what God you love. We don't care what God you follow. We don't right. care. We care about freedom. We care about liberty. We care about, are you going to do right? Are you going to be a good country? And again, when we see... Wrongs happen. It's our duty. We can't look the other way. Mm. We have to well, be the reluctant warrior, but we still have to be a warrior's. So look
4: what happened at Yale and Yale University. Uh, a a uh, Israeli student decides to write a column condemning the attacks on the seventh. It gets edited by the Yale newspaper, uh, a professor, because they said that they can't confirm that Hamas raped women and beheaded men. Excuse me. So they took it out. And yeah. then she just she came back, this woman, Sahar Tartak, says, I'm still collecting my thoughts on Yale uh, YDN's egregious correction. But then again, what Professor christakes and others have had said does the job. They don't believe or they don't want it out there to happen. And we know that there was a uh, 100 professors signed off defending the pro-Palestinian Hamas protests that took place on the campus of Columbia. Yeah. These are, are alleged elite students. Yeah. What happens with you at the University of Pennsylvania? Yeah,
10: listen, I'm a proud professor at Wharton Business School, right? And before the Hamas terrorist attack, we had Roger Waters. Ro- Roger, I was going to make sure. Roger, yeah, Roger Waters. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd lead singer, Roger Waters. Before he was even coming to our campus, it was the Palestinian Writers Festival. And I, and I have a young Jewish guy, and I went to the Wharton Vets Club, and I said, hey, guys, do you know this Palestinian Writers Conference? This is, again, before the, October 7th. do you guys know Roger Water? Do you guys know his background? I'm like, yeah. His dad served in World War II. He drove an ambulance. He was a conscious objector, but his dad was killed in World War II. I go, this guy is anti-Semite. This guy at his concerts flies a a 20-foot big pink pig with the Star of David on there. He says Israel is like Nazi Germany. He said on RT, Russian television, days before the illegal Russian invasion, Ukraine, he said – this is manufactured by the West. The Russia is not going to attack anybody. This guy is bonkers.
4: And you guys booked him.
10: Yeah. At, well, not me, Brian. Don't, 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 don't kill the messenger here, brother. But what I'm saying is I believe in academic freedom. I believe in the freedom of speech. And in America, Brian, you know, I talk constitutional law at West Point. All speech is protected except FIDO. Fighting words, incitement to riot, defamation of character and obscenities. Getting a guy like him has nothing to do with academic freedom. This guy is sowing the seeds of anti-Semitism, sowing the seeds of hate, sowing the seed of bigotry. And we wonder why in America there's a 37% increase in anti-Semitic violence. It's wrong. And as a Catholic... I can't stand here with my br- Jewish brothers and sisters and look the other way when they're getting persecuted.
4: 388% increase between October 7th and the 23rd in anti-Semitic attacks. Yeah, yeah no, no. I'm saying before the attack. Know. Yeah, you know, yeah. And brother, let me tell you something. 388%. And and, these are the ones who were attacked. Yeah, listen, in and,
10: and, and Pennsylvania, you know, I just came up early this morning uh, here in New York. In Pennsylvania, we had the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Eleven people were killed. Six people were injured. Again, they were murdered when they were practicing worshiping their God, um, our God. And you know what they did last night? Last night in a Jewish area called Squirrel Hill of Pittsburgh, they graffitied Free Palestine on a synagogue. We as Americans, and 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 this is what I. This is not a whole of government approach. Well, what are the cops doing? What are, yeah. This is a whole nation approach. You know, mm-hmm. when I was a congressman, I would go around with my brothers. It, it, I remember the Republicans, the House Speaker of the House, Denny O'Brien, in Northeast Philadelphia. We would go around and do search. You know, we would go around doing mm-hmm. that town watch stuff, right? Because you got to send a message that we're all in this together, all of us, and we just can't sit around on our computer screens and keyboards. And and act real tough. We got to make sure that on our watch and tonight's Halloween, I'll be out there in my front step giving candy out. But I'm going to send a message. and People know they better not mess with my kids. They better not mess with my neighborhood because we have pride in our country and we have pride in people who love freedom.
4: Right. And if you have some idiot talking and saying anti-Israeli comments or anti-Semitic remarks, don't sit there and say, well, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I want to go to the block party. You should speak up and say that's unacceptable. Right. Yeah, because, you know, they have kids that are saying the same thing if their parents are saying it. Right.
10: Right. And I get it. Like, listen, our, Brian, I spent years of my life teaching constitutional law, you know, and then 9-11 happened. I want to come by twice because, you know, I don't want to be stay at West Point as a young army captain. That constitution is a that's a blueprint of our country. Number one. But even in the preamble, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, we have never been perfect. We are a great country because we're a good country. We're not perfect. But every day we strive to get better. And what I want to say to the young people out there that are protesting and doing all this stuff out there in the college campuses is – and again, I believe in academic freedom. But listen, politics stops the water's edge in our country we got to unify as Americans. Well, they'll we just say, look yeah, the well, other way.
4: They don't like the fact that we're allies with Israel. They, a lot of people, believe me, there's a sentiment in this country that they don't want to be involved at all in anything. Not our problem. Let China and Russia rule the world. They don't understand that China, Russia, North Korea, Iran rule the world The world is an extremely dangerous place, and they think we're protected because we are Canada and Mexico. How long did you – we just did a thing this morning in Central and South America, the presence of Iranians in Hezbollah in our hemisphere, and you know they're coming across the border that is wide open. And we know we had 685 people, they say, aliens of interest, which means uh, worry of coming across our border. How long do you think until things start blowing up? <laughs> and those same people that say shut it down, don't be the world's policeman are the same ones that say, how come you're not watching our back? They don't see the relation between the two.
10: Right. And, Brian, it, it's already in our borders. Let, let me be straight. They have secret police stations in New York City, across the world that, that, that we're starting to shut down. Um, and, you know, obviously the intellectual property, I, you know, I'm a, Mike Gallagher's great young congressman, chair of the China right. Oversight Committee. I serve on a cyber commission with him. He's a great American Marine. I'm Army. And, and, I, and he's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. This is what drives me crazy: is people think that it's like la-di-da-di, peaches and cream everywhere. There's people that just hate us because we're right. Americans, and there's other people. that They know and, how
4: much better it is here than anywhere else. Right. They're trying to yeah, get you, yeah.
10: And, and that's and that's well, even mm-hmm. when I served in Iraq or Biden, yeah. we don't go there to take their oil, we don't go there to take their land or take their country. We go there to, to fight stand for, them up and right. let
4: them govern themselves. Hey, uh, Patrick Murphy, great to see you. Uh, always great to have you in the building. Uh, he was the Secretary of Army, Iraq Corvette, and a former congressman. Uh, now out and about as a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. For now.
10: Yeah, for, <laughs> well, yeah, after I hear this, it went out. But listen, it's a great school, and there's a lot of good people.
4: And there's, there's a lot, lot of, of people go- just as upset as you. Yeah. And are cutting off the dollars, like Governor Huntsman and others. Yeah, and I've uh, partnered,
10: I've told you, with Mark Rowan and, and John Huntsman yeah. and Josh Harris. Yeah, I mean we're we're all not happy, and, but yeah. I think they're realigning and recalibrating and get, trying to get
4: it right. Back in a moment.
3: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: Israel is America's most important ally in the Middle East. There's a special bond between the U.S. and Israel. But Israel is also not our 51st state. We have to be able to see the difference. So there
4: are
1: other candidates who have said that is an attack on America. That was an inhumane, barbaric attack, no doubt about it. But it wasn't an attack on America. If you can't tell the difference,
6: you're not qualified to be the president of the United States.
4: So that's Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm not sure where he is on that and why that statement was so important to him. Everybody that says that was like an attack on America is not saying it's the 51st state or a commonwealth like Puerto Rico. You know what they're saying. You listen to this show. What they're saying is that's a democracy in the middle of the Middle East. A democracy. So if you attack France, if Islamic extremists attack France, the reason why almost every Western leader except Barack Obama showed up in France after that devastating attack was because it's an attack on the West. France was the convenient foil, or that was the venue. Same with the U.K., and that's what Israel is. For us, that's an ally. That's like saying, yeah, you're not family, but you're such a good friend, it's like family. Why he would choose to split the difference there, I don't get. I don't understand. So, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Just a quick uh, announcement uh, coming up a week from today, Teddy and Booker T comes out. The story of two American icons who plays the path to social equality. I think it's a story you got to know. I think I love studying it. So, if you want to pre-order it, get it, and you could also get it where I can customize it and send it to you. Worked at a deal my Barnes and Noble. Also, I got live shows. Where I'm going to talk about everything. There's very little patriotism. Uh, inspirational, motivational things going on. It happens on stage. I'm uh, on the 9th in Red Banks, New Jersey. I'll be in Pittsburgh. I'll be in uh, uh, other venues over in Illinois. Just check it out. Get tickets. A book comes with all of it. Uh, It's Teddy and Booker T. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Keep it here. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
4: hi everyone this is brian kilmeade welcome to the latest moments of the brian kilmeade show such consequential times and i'm honored that you chose to listen and stay with us each and every day uh and we appreciate it you can always write me at brian with your comments I restructured my whole website, so it's all backlogged a little bit, but I'll be getting to your comments uh, shortly. Uh, We're just getting it onto a new system now. But I always appreciate your comments, and sometimes I'll, I'll take them after the show. I also know a lot of you listen to the podcast. So you don't listen live. So I appreciate that. I know you're busy. Uh, We have Ambassador Robert Jordan standing by. He's a diplomat in residence at Southern SMU and author of Desert Diplomat. He also serves as U.S. Ambassador to Saudi Arabia. John Rennish will also be with us. And we're going to do a simulcast with Stuart Varney. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. To me, anti-Semitism was something that many, many years ago in this country was kind of common. It was casual, but it was widespread. I thought it had become a sentiment that you never wanted to be caught dead expressing. I guess not, because what we're seeing now is a lot more of it than I ever imagined even existed.
4: When you have a guy like Britt Hume who's been in the news business for 50 years, you know it's you know it's really, really disturbing. Protest, anti-Semitic aid, threats plaguing college campuses, and many cities and states in America, and guess what, around the world. This after the worst attack on Israel in their history. Where does this come from, and how can we stop it?
5: Number
6: two. And
4: what's the
10: message to
4: Iran?
6: Don't. If you're thinking about jumping in here, if you're thinking
4: about deepening and widening and escalating, uh, don't do it. Don't. Ugh. Our forces attacked again. This, even though the White House says, don't. Iran-backed militias are daring us to hit back. But we say, don't do that. I hate to tell you, Mr. President, they already did 25 times. We've answered once.
6: Number one. Calls for
4: a ceasefire
7: are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas. That will not happen. This is a time for war.
4: Here we go. Uh, The Prime Minister of Israel talking about the march in Gaza moving forward. The mastermind of the October 7th killed uh, attack killed and a hostage rescued as Israel refuses a ceasefire, and they should. Joining us now is Ambassador Robert Jordan. Uh, well, it's great to have you on. Ambassador, welcome back.
9: Good to be back with you, Brian.
4: Ambassador, I got to tell you, I'm just checking to see what's going on in Saudi Arabia because their defense minister was just here, the brother of MBS. Saudi Arabia clashing with the Houthi rebels uh, over in Yemen. The Houthi rebels sent a surface to surface missile into Israel, at least one today, knocked out by the Arrow missile defense system. Co, uh, co-invented uh, with the U.S. Houthi rebels are a problem thoroughly financed by Iran. Do you think the Saudi, Saudi Arabia understands that Israel and America is not the enemy here? Uh,
9: yeah, they clearly understand it. They're uh, trying to juggle uh, several factors. They're the custodians of uh, two of the holiest uh, places in Islam. Uh, and so they are paying more attention to the Arab street Uh, uh, at least publicly, but I think privately it's very clear that uh, they have no love for Hamas. Uh, Certainly even during my time, I worked with the Saudis to direct uh, uh, the Saudi funding to elements other than Hamas uh, to support the Palestinians, and even to this day, I think that's where they are. But uh, uh, their public statements are going to vary for a while because of the delicate situation they have as the guardians of Islam.
4: (laughs) What do you think was accomplished yesterday? They didn't come out, and there was no push for the Saudis. I thought this was a good move. The Saudis weren't saying, we demand a ceasefire. Uh, they understand about the, the need to, to save yeah. innocent life. I get it, and they get it. But they didn't come out and demand a ceasefire, and they didn't take off the shelf, possibly normalizing relationship with Israel. What do you think came out of it?
9: I think that's, uh, I think you've got uh, the elements correct here. Uh, the Saudis, I think, still very much want normalization with Israel. Uh, they were willing to have these discussions uh, with really nothing in it for the Palestinians. Uh, and so I think, again, they are about as fed up with the leadership of the Palestinians as we are. Uh, but it's hard for them to say that publicly. I would look for uh, further progress on normalization uh, once the fighting stops. Uh, But the Saudis, I think, are also paying careful attention to uh, world reaction uh, to uh, Israel's invasion of Gaza uh, and where that goes. Uh, It's not going to be uh, pretty by any means. It's going to be terrible. Uh, And the Saudis will probably weigh that in terms of what their public statements are.
4: I want you to hear what uh, Jared Kushner said. He just spoke in Saudi Arabia. And, you know, he had a lot to do with the Abraham Accords. Here's yeah. what he said about uh, comparing what he's seeing here in New York and what he experienced in Saudi Arabia and what he thinks of the current relations. I see every day, you know, people, uh, even people who are not in favor of Trump are realizing that under President Trump, uh, we had a peaceful world. Uh, People said when he got into power, he would create World War Three. Well, uh, there were no new wars. Uh, He was making peace deals. The Middle East, which was one of the thorniest issues uh, for American diplomats and politicians and military for two decades, became a very peaceful place with a lot of momentum. And uh, in just a couple short years, uh, you've seen what happened when there's passive leadership and and weak leadership uh, from America. America and the world,
10: and you know we have uh two massive wars that have the chance to metastasize further
4: so that and you went on to say I feel more secure talking about uh Israel in Saudi Arabia than I felt walking around the campus of Colombia
9: well, it's a terrible situation now with the anti-Semitism we're seeing on college campuses uh, it's uh, really hard for me to explain it. Uh, universities are supposed to be places where robust debate can occur, but you shouldn't fear for your life or your safety uh, as a consequence. So these uh, campus leaders need to step up and make clear that uh, that kind of uh, conduct is unacceptable. It's absolutely unbelievable what's going on.
4: So you know what's going on right now, Ambassador. Why don't I just let you comment about what has happened since October 7th and how you think Israel's handling it?
9: Well, it, it's clearly uh, Pearl Harbor or 9-11 uh, to the Israelis. Uh, their uh, very uh, existence is at stake here. So we understand uh, that they have a right of self-defense and they have a right to, uh, to strike back. Uh, obviously, there are rules of engagement, rules in war, uh, and it's critical to avoid Unnecessary uh, civilian casualties, but you can't avoid them all. Uh, And Israel, uh, I think, has a right to uh, respond in a proportional way to the threat. The threat is existential. And so they uh, are committed to to basically eradicating Hamas, eradicating Hamas's ability uh, to do this again. Uh, and time and time again, uh, they go in and do what's called mowing the lawn, which is minor incursions, uh, and Hamas pops right back up just like crabgrass. Uh, and I think this time uh, they're committed uh, to finding a more permanent solution to uh, uh, to dealing with Hamas uh, in a way that uh, completely uh, handicaps their ability to wage war again. It doesn't mean the feelings and the attitudes and the resistance will disappear. But certainly, the capacity to uh, make these uh, horrible major attacks on on Israel uh, need to be compromised.
4: So you know they're moving forward methodically, and that and that's the military uh, judgment to make. And they're looking to, for Hamas fighters. They're not looking to target civilians. But the magnitude of that October seventh attack, the rehearsals that took place, the how comprehensive it was, the planning that was found, the 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 cards that were found, the planning cards that were found on the dead. Hamas soldiers show that this took a level of sophistication that even the Israelis didn't think Hamas is capable of, which leads me to the Wall Street Journal report that says at least 500 were trained inside Iran. If that is, in fact, proven correct, are we ever going to know that? And how important is it to let them know that they can't get away with this?
9: Well, we have to let them know they can't get away with it, and uh The greatest resolution here, I think, is to completely defeat Hamas to start with. Number two, to uh, do an after-action assessment of the epic uh, intelligence failures uh, that led to some of this in the first place. Uh, Clearly, uh, Israel took its eye off the ball, uh, was distracted by some of the activity in in the West Bank. uh, But uh, Hamas was undergoing a lot of this training in broad daylight uh, in Gaza. Uh, And the people in the watchtowers and the other intelligence that uh, uh, the Israelis had uh, completely missed the point that they were actually preparing for this kind of invasion rather than simply symbolic acts. So we've got to have, uh, uh, I think, a review of exactly how this happened so it can't happen again. And clearly, Israel needs to harden their defenses uh, in a way that uh, they hadn't anticipated.
4: Here's what Senator Jerry Moran says should happen. As you know, it was the 25th attack on our forces in Syria and in Iraq. We know we got thousands in Kuwait too. We have uh, thousands at our headquarters at, uh, in Qatar. So we could be susceptible in other places, cut 18.
0: We should see a much more aggressive response by the Biden administration, by perhaps by just by chance, they didn't land where they were intended to land. But there is no question, but what uh, Iran is attempting to distract the United States, to have us pay a price, uh, and all of this, our, our support in our interest in supporting Israel is enhanced by our ability to push back on Iran for things they're doing to the United States in our interest around the globe. It requires a, uh, a definite and firm response, not just uh, words.
4: You know that neighborhood and you know how toughness and willing to use your strength matters. Do you think President Biden gets that?
9: Well I think he's slowly coming around to the, uh, recognizing that this administration has neglected the Middle East uh, for much of uh, its term. Uh we didn't even have an ambassador to Saudi Arabia nominated for 2 years. So uh, there's there's a lot uh, that they uh, need to step up to and learn or Israel as, or Israel and uh, or UAE. Uh, so we've we've had a tremendous vacuum uh, in leadership uh, and attention to the Middle East. And sadly, it's now come back around to bite us to some degree. Uh, I think we clearly have to find some ways to push back on Iran. Uh, for one example, they're they're pumping and, and selling probably uh, four million barrels of oil a day now when, uh, uh, when they're supposed to be under severe sanctions. So we've got to find ways to curtail that as well.
4: Uh, that would help. So uh, having said that, the Houthi rebels are now lobbing rockets. Uh, they we don't know if they were aiming for a destroyer or not uh, that was off the coast of Yemen, but if they start lobbing rockets, then you're looking at Israel with a problem in Syria. They've just they addressed it yesterday. A problem in northern in their northern front, the southern Lebanon where Hezbollah is. You got Hamas, obviously. So you have you you're getting hit from so many angles. I know you're not a military guy, Ambassador Jordan. But if you're Israel, what are you thinking today? How do you not only survive but address the major problem? And that is the one financer of all this is is Iran while still trying to survive and block anything that's coming in the sky.
9: Well, I think Israel's got to rely on uh, its allies, particularly the United States. Uh, and I think we've got to make it clear uh, that iran uh, is is off limits in a way. Uh, they operate through proxies in so many areas here that it's very difficult to assign uh, direct accountability, but we all know what's going on uh, and there there is something that has to be done further about it, uh, whether it's uh, clandestine, whether it's uh, direct attacks. Uh, I think that's something that I can't really address very uh, with much expertise, but I think we've got to find a firmer way uh, of dealing uh, with the situation. And we frankly also need to enlist uh, further uh, allies. Those allies calling for a ceasefire, for example, right now are not doing us uh, or the Israelis any good. uh, And I think they're making a huge mistake.
4: What do you do with Gaza after you do the best you can to eliminate Hamas there?
9: Well, you're going to have to have uh, some degree of occupation uh, and uh, deconfliction, which will undoubtedly need to lead to some sort of multinational force uh, as a peacekeeping force. Uh, It it, it also needs to be Arabs who are uh, in the front of it, uh, Palestinians who are not affiliated with Hamas, uh, Jordan, Egypt. uh, And obviously the Gulf Arab countries are going to need to help fund some of this. Uh, but there has to be some attention given to the day after uh, and to what uh, what comes next, because uh, if if that isn't stabilized, then you're likely to see something uh, mm. uh, like this uh, occur in the future.
4: Are you surprised you haven't had any Palestinian step up and say, hey, listen, I'm not I'm not with Hamas. I'd like to start negotiations. Anybody. You right. know, I don't hear any leaders pop up. Yasser Arafat. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas has been a waste, uh, even from their own people, 14 percent approval rating. People say separate the Palestinians from Hamas. Please tell me how.
9: Well, uh, the Israelis, to some degree, have encouraged uh, a leadership vacuum uh, within the Palestinians as well. Mahmoud Abbas is a joke as a leader. Uh, The leaders of Hamas are residing in Qatar. Uh, and there's really no partner for peace right now among uh, the Palestinian leadership. Uh, in order for that to change, I think the Palestinians are going to have to have some hope, not necessarily of a two-state solution, but at least of some degree of viability of, of their society uh, and their economy. Uh, this is something that's going to take a lot of diplomacy, uh, but it can occur uh, in the midst of a war. The war has to be decisively won first, uh, and then I think you'll see perhaps some Hamas leadership, or, or rather, Palestinian leadership, emerge. But a lot of the Palestinian leaders have been compromised by Mahmoud Abbas, uh, either thrown in jail or uh, thrown into exile. And I think that's a, uh, an issue that we're going to have to uh, deal with as well.
4: Yeah, I can imagine. All right, uh, thanks so much, Ambassador Jordan. Always appreciate your insight. Enjoyed it, Brian. Thank right. you. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Complex situation. Uh, it's the definition of complex. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. When we come back. I'll try to squeeze in some calls to your comments. Uh, also, we're going to take a look at 2024. New polls are out. Uh, Haley has moved ahead of Desantis, but how close to Trump? We'll discuss when we when we return.
3: Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: So So that was just from the hearing just now. As Secretary of State uh, Blinken is addressing uh, the House, uh, the House, uh, the uh, Homeland Security Committee. So he is uh got interrupted about two, at least two times, maybe three times by protesters screaming about Israel uh, and they are against Israel for the Palestinians for Hamas. Let's be honest. It's Hamas. So this is how crazy it's getting here. Austin is where we've uh, is listening on WVGA over in Valdosta, Georgia. I've been there. It's great. Hey, Austin. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. What do you think about this craziness with this anti-Semitism in this country?
0: It is crazy. And uh, what I would like to hear more about that I don't hear anybody talking about is how much we have done and other other countries have done for the Palestinians to really put them in a great situation to become a two state solution there. And they really haven't taken advantage of it. But a lot of people don't understand how much support they have gotten from us and everybody else. And they really just hadn't to took the ball in their hands. And uh, how much money's been spent, how long they have got it, uh, you know, how much everybody's tried to make this happen for them, and they just really hadn't to took the ball by the hands and, and ran with it. I'd like to hear more information so we can convince some of these protesters that, hey, they really didn't have it that bad. They really had it pretty good.
4: Uh, Austin, it's pretty bad that we have to educate people who are going to University of Pennsylvania, Columbia. NYU paying $95,000, and we have to tell them how much aid the Palestinians get.
3: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
6: You have the current front runner for the GOP, Donald Trump, facing what 91 criminal charges? I've lost count. Yet, the Biden-Harris ticket is running neck and neck with Donald Trump. Why are you not 30 points ahead?
8: Well, I'm not, I'm not a political pundit. When the American people are able to take a close look at election time on their options, I think the choice is going to be clear. Bill, we're going to win.
4: All right. Uh, she's not a pundit, but she's in politics for a living. It does nothing but polls and elections nonstop. She's not a pundit, but she's – if you're in it, you can make a prediction. Uh, but one of the things she went on to say is the problem is they've done a great job but a bad job talking about how great a job they've done. John Rennish is a Democratic strategist and wants to uh, weigh in. John, thanks so much for joining us.
11: Great to be back, Brian. Thanks.
4: So she's not a political pundit, but she's in politics. Why do you think they're neck and neck?
11: Well, first of all, that is what every <clears throat> excuse me elected official says who – inherently is a politician. (laughs) Every politician, when asked about what's maybe not the most comfortable polling in the world, says, well, I'm not a pundit or the only poll that matters. I mean, I have written these talking points for elected officials more time than I can shake a stick at. So the, the go-to line, Brian, is always the only poll that matters is the one on election day when people show up to vote. Anyway, look, the the, the everyone is following these, these numbers very, very carefully. Look, we are at a time of great and ongoing unrest. The American people are feeling pretty shaken up. And whether that is Grocery prices, whether that is, um, you know, uh, jobs issues, though the job market is roaring, wages going up, but people, because prices are higher, are not feeling that. So whoever's in charge, the bottom line is, Brian, tends to get the blame. And when Donald Trump was president, he got the blame for whatever happened that were big and small uh, negative strokes in the country. And that's the case, that's the same case with anyone, especially in a polarized era like we're in, is that uncertainty tends to filter right to the top. I will also say this, um, you know, when when voters turn on their TVs every night or listen in to us on the radio right now, what is happening? In the world affects them, and also what's happening right here at home. And I think that people are really shaken up and really angry about what they're seeing on college campuses right now in terms of these anti-Semitic, hate-filled, radical, anti-Israel, anti-American uh, talking points, language, politics. So I think that's having a role in shaking people up too.
4: Well, I mean, there's, you said a lot of uh, really important things. Number one is we didn't even talk. You didn't even say Democrat or Republican. Anti Americanism. And when you oh, talk about Israel, sure. yeah, and you talk about Israel, we're talking about an American ally. You know, uh, right yeah, now, we're Republicans. About the only
11: Democratic yeah. country in a very uncertain and dangerous region. I would want that to be a priority, not just for Republicans, not just for Democrats, not just for Jews, Christians, what have you, but for every American.
4: So, what, what is striking is. You know, we know the speaker search and how Republicans are divided. They'll tell you they're divided. Marjorie Taylor Greene, much different than Congressman Lowry of New York. And we know yeah. about the Freedom Court. We, we, we got it. We watched it for 22 days. But now yeah. I'm watching Josh Gottheimer being uh, called out by a congressman from Indiana. Listen to this.
7: I think he's uh, uh, not acting in the role as a member of Congress. I think he's shown himself to be very emotional. Like most cowardly people, when you confront them, they're afraid. Um, I'm unafraid of the guy. And if he wants to call us despicable, I'm saying he's a coward and he's a punk.
4: So that is Congressman Andre Carson talking about a member of of New Jersey Congress, uh, both Democrats. And then you have Corey Bush uh, and Tlaib coming out and really ripping their president, Democrat, and the rest of the party ripping back at the squad, inappropriate. And I don't think many people are going to stand in the way of Tlaib being censured. So... I think, in five days this is this is a lot of times it's fractures, but you but Democrats do a great job keeping it behind closed doors. They end up being sources and rumors. Republicans yeah, yeah. grab a camera, so you guys are now doing this on camera. what's your take
11: Well, sure, look I mean before the Marjorie Taylor greens, the lauren Boberts uh those lightning rods, you know social media famous et cetera, but not powerful legislatively at all and Kind of headaches who maybe the the base really liked and said incendiary things. Uh, so they were able to rise up in, in terms of people's imagination. And unfortunately for the Republicans, define the party way more than I think party leadership, the donor class, et cetera, uh, would be comfortable with. So during the, before that time, it was always Democrats in disarray. Then Democrats came into, quote, array. And, and look, I, I don't want to overblow. Uh, on my side of the aisle, um, a, a real party-wide split. Um, look, Corey Bush, Rashida Talib, Ilhan Omar—these are radical lightning rods. Who, in terms of where actual Democratic voters are, including the base that made Joe Biden the Democratic nominee, these 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 folks are in the squad. Are really off on an island. I think if you look at their influence, it is way more on social media than any place else. But you're also seeing it with the youngest generation on college campuses um, who do turn into Rashida Tlaib's Twitter feed, uh, you know, as if it's as if it's the gospel of news, as if it's Walter Cronkite. And that's a huge problem.
4: Right. But I'm going to just I'm going to extrapolate what you just said. They are usually Democratic voters. And if they are pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas and you have uh, people like Tlaib uh, and Jayapal coming out saying the president should watch himself and demand a ceasefire, I think it's noteworthy. I think that Republicans sit back and go, wow, uh, they are not only shooting outside the tent, they're shooting in broad daylight, and they're saying they might stay home and not vote. Where those radicals were never going to vote for Republicans, these Democrats on Columbia campuses always vote Democrat.
11: Well, I, I think a lot of them are, are, are so young and don't know a lot in the world that they have never taken. Some them of them are professors, O John. I mean, th- this situation. A hundred Brian,
4: professors wrote that they should have the right to stand up for the Palestinians.
11: I mean, standing up for a mother in Gaza City who's worried about her children, or anyone who's worried about their business and their home—that is one thing. But when you start to have Ivy League elite university professors, and look, I, I recognize that I'm a Democrat here, and I'm ripping vocabulary out of the Republican playbook, but that's where I'm finding myself right now. You know, I'm Jewish and from New York City. I went to an elite college, and what I'm seeing, you know, play out is really, really unfortunate. Um, But it's also dangerous for Israel and dangerous for our national security because these folks are not advocating for civilians. They're also not leading their messaging with bring the hostages home. They're not leading their messaging with, uh, you know, with with we have to save civilians. I mean, some of these professors, it's just been horrifying to see are leading with messaging like this was an incredible day. Or an act of resistance. Exhilarating. Like, you couldn't get away with saying this about any other minority group, but they will say it about
4: Jews. And I tell you what, it's really, un, you know, I've been, I've been lucky enough to have, be at Fox for 25, 26 years. Yeah. So, so many attacks, ups and downs, election messes, con- contentions yeah. from Bush to, to Trump. Got it. Yep. I've never seen anything like this that have caught me and so many people more experienced than me totally by surprise. The anti-Semitic hate that is popping yeah. up. I got yeah. a. I have a, my son at a college that had major demonstrations at forty five percent Jewish. They were they were pro Hamas, wearing the headbands. It, it is
11: it is outrageous. But you know what? I have to say, Brian, and I think this is a a topic that we could talk about for hours. And I'm happy to do that. But uh, you know, this crisis on campuses really has been hiding in plain sight. Um, and, and you you have seen. Um, just a, a stealth influence that it, a, a, of radicalized theories uh, but that do have a a just deleterious and dangerous anti semitic effect mm-hmm. um, you know for when I was in college, Israel was a place where Jews and non jews alike wanted to travel to wanted to do you know junior year abroad or what have you world Travel to because it was a, it was a country and a culture that people felt great warmth and affinity for. And that was something that was closely valued. You know, on so many campuses, there were, you know, exchange programs and all of that, Uh, you know, um, uh, Jewish professors who loved Israel and probably traveled there and maybe lived on a Kibbutz, something like that. And there is also this sort of mob mentality that just discourages that that affinity now, and people feel that they'll be you know persecuted for it. But when you see right. Jewish students afraid to wear a yarmulke, afraid to go have Crazy. Shabbat dinner in the Jewish house on campus, you know, or locking themselves in the library, as we saw in New York at Cooper Union and other places, while a mob screaming anti-Semitic and anti-Israel slurs pounds on the door that is unacceptable so it has been good to see the White House I will say
4: I hope they they keep it up
11: messaging and resources to it
4: I hope they keep it up John because there's a pushback within the party for them not to Uh, and I I think you're right Uh, we totally see eye to eye in that we have so much more to talk about but next time John Renish, thank you
3: Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Stuart Varney is going to have me on. We're going to be on FBN, so you'll see us on Fox Nation. You'll listen to us on the radio, and you'll see on FBN. Then I'm going to get to calls. They usually leave me like two or three minutes at the back end, so I'll be able to get to calls. So stay on the line. Uh, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Uh, A lot of the same topics. I, I wanted to talk more about 2024 with John Rhenish, Re- uh, Democratic strategist, to get his perspective because more and more people think that there's more people going to get in this race to take on Joe Biden. Let's listen.
8: Okay, there you go. There's one exception. That's Amazon, which is up. All right, 1051, me time, and he's joining me now. Brian, the administration says it's going to meet with Jewish leaders and universities to discuss the rise in anti-Semitism. Okay, watch this for a minute.
2: This week, senior administration officials are meeting with Jewish leaders and universities to discuss the threat of anti-Semitism on campuses and what the administration is doing to act. In the, coming, in the upcoming days and weeks, the administration will continue to work to combat anti-Semitism and all hate-fueled violence on schools and also on college campuses. All
8: right, Brian, look, I see a double standard here. If people of color were being targeted this way, the way, the way Jews are being targeted... There'll be riots and people will be in jail. It's a double standard. You agree with me? I do.
4: And just remember how KJP, the press secretary, refused to answer the question about anti-Semitism. And then she says, I misheard it the next day, tried to walk it back. So when Peter Ducey asked yesterday again about it, she again soft peddling it. Anti-Semitism is a problem and we're going to address it. But never admitting that this is a five alarm fire. Because your people are not saying, I'm against you, which is bad. But I want to kill you. I want to slit your throat. Professors saying, I feel exhilarated after October 7th. No demand among these schools to disseminate between maybe the plight of the Palestinian people and Hamas. Don't tell me you're pro-Hamas. If you see a sign or a headband or a flag that's Hamas, that ends today. That doesn't, that's not being tolerant. That's, that's that's professing to support a terrorist organization whose main goal, it's written in their constitution, is to wipe out a, a, a class of people who have a certain religious belief. That's not okay. So now we see 100 Columbia professors right. sign a letter defending yep. the right for people to, to demonstrate for the Palestinians and have some of the most hateful chants you could possibly have while we watched a professor two weeks ago say the whole president of Columbia won't say a word about anti-Semitism on the campus. So this is out of control. This, well, is, a, this is a huge problem.
8: Well, the, you have to bear in mind free speech. I mean, do students have the freedom to speak about their intense antipathy to Jewish people and Israel?
4: I don't think hate speech on a college campus promotes a positive atmosphere on a college campus. If a bunch of Jewish Americans started chanting anti-Christian, anti-Muslim chants, that would be shut down, not even anti-Christian, it's anti-Muslim a chants it would be shut down in the tenth of a second.
8: It's, it's the but double standard.
4: It's, it's huge. And the thing is, this is the crazy thing. A lot of the, the biggest benefactors of these institutions, and you know a lot of them, you interview know a lot of them, are big givers. And the University of Pennsylvania lost maybe five big ones. Columbia lost a big one last week, billionaire. Uh, they're going to lose. They're pulling it back because they're horrified by this. And they look around at the Democratic Party and they go, wait a second. Fifty percent are not even pro-Israel anymore. And then this next generation is against Israel, wants to defund Israel, Israel and their causes and anybody who invests in Israel. So this is not a subtle issue. There's one party, and it's the Republican Party right now, that stands firmly with Israel. While not that's hating it. Palestinians, but despising Hamas.
8: You got it right. Exactly right. The Democrat Party is divided, and that's put a restriction on their freedom of action in policy. Brian, thanks for joining us. I'm sorry it's short, but I'm running out of time. We had Oz on earlier. Go. Right, now it's, it's okay. Thank you, Steve. It, it was great. Uh, some professors- Brian,
4: WHLO uh, is, uh, is where you, WHLI is where you're listening. Hey, Brian.
6: Hey, thanks for taking my call, Brian. H, H- I L. What am I saying? My my fault. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, so obviously, what's going on in Israel is horrible, and what's happened, Uh the murders and you know the rape of these the women and children—that's going on. Obviously, we need to be up in arms and helping protect. Like I said, one of our greatest allies. The other issue is the same thing, and and the current administration is allowing this to happen on our border, and and we know it through the cartels. I mean, what they're doing to the people that are coming through there and what is taking place in our country, and I would like to see the Republicans, now that we've finally unified in the House, to stand with the Senate, Republicans, and hopefully— Yes. Stop Republican Dem, but all stand up together. We've got 29 states of Republican, Republican AGs. We have a re, uh, right to defend our border. And, and if Biden's not going to do it, we need to do it. We need to do it now. Katie Britt, when she stood up and said, this is not the American dream. It's the American nightmare. What those people are going through, having somebody passionate like that stand up or the Republican Party stand up for our country needs to be done needs to be done now we can't right. afford. thanks brian do you see it do you, do
4: you see it in dayton
6: i'm in canton ohio
4: you're in canton okay do you see a problem in canton because we see a huge problem in new york i know I'll tell you right here in new york city we
6: we have uh friends that are in the school systems up here and they tell what happens that people don't realize what gotcha immigrants are coming that they've got to you know, take into the school systems, our children are suffering for it. I've got kids that worry about my kids.
4: Got gotcha, you, Brian. They, I'm just going to just tell you, just to build on that, uh, Fox News reporting that special interest aliens, ones that really worry us where there's heavy terror activities in their home countries, uh, number 6,000, including from Egypt, 3,000, Afghanistan, 659, Iran, 538, and Syria, 500. It's You hear the, these people have crossed our border. These are the ones we know of. And by the way, just for people listening on WHIO, I'll be there talking about Teddy and Booker T uh, December 8th, uh, 2023. Go to BrianKilmey.com. We're traveling all around. Lexington, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Doylestown, Pennsylvania, Munhill, Pennsylvania. And I'll be live doing live shows. First one up is uh, is Red Banks in New Jersey, November 9th.
3: Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hi everyone, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, So happy you're here. Bob Cusack is going to be here to break down 2024, how the parties, both parties are dealing with some divisions for the longest time. it's It's only Republicans, right? Trying to pick a speaker. Understood. But now we're seeing something totally different on the left, and we're seeing a fracture right before our eyes, and it mirrors what's happening overseas with Israel. We were just watching hearings with Christopher Ray and the – excuse me – with uh, the Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken. It was interrupted three or four times, and then you see a bunch of people for pro – anti-Israel and uh, pro-Palestinian causes, and then you have a bunch of people with blood on their hands, with uh, red on their hands, saying it's blood, and Gaza written on their forearms – that went up in the air. So that's the sentiment in so many college campuses, in so many cities, and that was the the sentiment in Capitol Hill. Disturbing to say the least. Big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
5: To me, anti-Semitism was something that many, many years ago in this country was kind of common. It was casual, but it was widespread. I thought it had become a sentiment that you never wanted to be caught dead expressing. I guess not, because what we're seeing now is a lot more of it than I ever imagined even existed.
4: Uh, that is Bridium who I thought have seen it all, but not like this. Protests, anti-Semitic hate, threats plaguing college campuses, many city-states and around the world after the worst attack on Israel in their history. Make sense of that. Number two. And what's the message
11: to Iran?
1: Don't. If you're thinking about jumping in here,
4: and you're thinking about deepening and widening and escalating, uh, don't do it. Don't. Well, they are. Our forces attacked again. This even though the White House says, don't. Iran-backed militias are daring us to hit back. Will we have to wait for a new president to defend ourselves?
6: Number one. Calls
7: for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas that will not happen this is a time for war
4: that is the Prime Minister of Israel March in Gaza they're about two miles in uh, they are doing this a little bit differently than most people thought uh, they've been going at it now for 25 days uh, the mastermind of the October 7th attack was killed yesterday many more to come Bob Cusack joins us now Bob you know when I would I watch you on TV read your columns. When you come on, it's usually about the divided Republican Party. But now I'm watching Corey Bush. Uh, I'm people marginal walking away from them. I'm watching Josh Godheimer, uh, uh, Josh Godheimer, uh, being called out by an Indiana congressman. Uh, we're seeing some divisions on the left.
1: Oh yes, uh, we are, and and it's interesting, Brian. You know, there's so many things that are polarizing, where uh, Democrats want this and Republicans want that. But on the Israel issue, it's actually more of a generational divide where uh, a lot of uh, younger people are siding, uh, not all, of course, uh, with, with the Palestinians. And this is a real problem for for the president because uh, he's under pressure to call for a ceasefire. But there's no way that the president should call for a ceasefire because Netanyahu, as you played played that recording, uh, he, he, there's no ceasefire coming. So for the United States to call for one, uh, it's not going to happen. So this is, a, I, I think, a problem on the left uh, for Joe Biden. And we've seen already in Congress uh, a resolution uh, supporting Israel got rejected uh, by by around nine Democrats, one Republican, Tom Massey. Uh, but this is this is dividing Democrats. And I think it's only going to get worse because obviously the situation in the war is going to intensify.
4: Uh, it is, and it's obviously it's going to get a little bit harder. It's going to be harder for those civilians, especially if Egypt will not allow them to come through the Rafah gate, so they'll have nowhere to go, and they've got to get in UN. Uh, they have to get some UN relief, but if the, the relief comes in, it goes to Hamas, uh, Israel, and shouldn't tolerate that. So it's a, it's a tough situation. So there's going to be a possible censure opportunity with Elon uh, uh, Omar and uh, Jay, maybe Jayapal. But also yep. uh, the squad basically has just fractured and been very critical of Joe Biden. And okay. now we have we actually have a speaker so people can actually get censored again huh. Talib is probably head of the class. Do you think that'll go through?
1: Well, listen, yeah, I think I mean, this is something that I the new speaker, speaker, Mike Johnson, uh, he's putting Democrats on the spot. Uh, the first vote was a resolution on Israel. And now it, it's going to be. Uh, censuring Democrats. There's also another motion to potentially expel George Santos from Congress. So there's some big votes upcoming, I think, within whether it's this week or next week that are going to be very interesting. And it's, you know, it's just fascinating to see because when you, when you, when you talk to somebody, uh, or you hear her comments, AOC has a very different opinion from New York. Uh, that uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has on on Israel from New York. So this this is a highlight of uh, the problem of Democrats because remember mm. they need the left to come out, and a lot of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run, and then some of them don't like his position uh, on on the Israel Hamas war.
4: Here here's uh, Congresswoman Jayapal who uh, out of the more level-headed than most of the left wing. In this case, more of the left wing squad members. Listen,
2: the existence of Israel is absolutely legitimate. And I think the world has come to see it as legitimate. However, there are racists within the Netanyahu government
11: and there are racist policies that Israel has been carrying out.
4: Really? Okay. Uh, And she wanted to just demand she went on in a different soundbite to demand a ceasefire. That's not going to happen. So what is going to what's going to happen? I mean, basically, any Democratic president, I thought, including Barack Obama, would do what Joe Biden's doing. But he finds himself maybe in the minority in his party.
1: Yeah, it's it's a difficult spot, especially now that we have the question of, OK, what are we going to do to help Israel as far as aid and as well as Ukraine? Uh, the new speaker, Speaker Johnson, <clears throat> wants to Tackle Israel first and and that 's a leverage play I think when it 's all said and done, I think probably aid for for Israel and Ukraine will happen, um, but it's maybe not going to be as big as the White House wants on ukraine uh, for that instance, and Speaker Johnson is uh giving a, you know a heads up to his mm-hmm. conservatives to say okay we 're going to offset uh, some of these costs because the deficit and debt are out of control, and that that the conservatives really like that. So I think they're giving Speaker Johnson some breathing room right now. Uh, and they are finally, after that debacle of three weeks, they've finally united behind Speaker Johnson, at least for now.
4: So here it is. So with the, they asked for $100 billion, $110, and it had $14 billion for border. It had billions for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. So Congressman Johnson, now Speaker Johnson, said, no, wait a second. We're just doing Israel first. Let's break this up. Cut fourteen.
9: My intention and my desire in the first uh, draft of this bill is to take some of the money that has been set aside for the IRA, building and bulking up the IRS. Right now, they have about 67 billion dollars in that fund, and we'll we'll try to take the 14.5 necessary for this immediate and urgent need. We'll deal with the rest of that issue later.
2: Do you think that will drive away some Democrats in the Senate, it, even or here in the House? It
9: may, but my intention is to call uh, Leader Schumer over there and have a very uh, direct and thoughtful conversation about this. I understand their priority is to bulk up the IRS. Um, but I think if you put this to the American people and they weigh the two needs, I think they're going to say standing with Israel and protecting the innocent uh, over there is in our national interest and is a more immediate need than
3: IRS agents.
4: Right. I never understood the 87,000 IRS agents, nor do I think people will chant for IRS. So where do you think this is going to go? Because, of course, it's got to pass the House and then got to get over the Senate and they, it's actually paid for
1: I was actually talking to one of our reporters, and we were kind of debating how many Democrats are going to vote for this. Because remember, this is uh, – a lot of – most Democrats do support uh, uh, Israel aid, but they don't support taking the money away from the IRS. So – but this could be a real effective campaign ad if Democrats who are in tough districts vote against this uh, because then they say, they can say, well, listen, they, 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 yeah, he or she voted against Israel – uh, and the details get lost in that campaign at of uh, the offsets and the IRS. But Republicans are clearly making a gambit here in 2024. We're going to pick Israel over the IRS, and that's the messaging right now. And after, you know, really a, a rough stretch, I think House Republicans have gotten their sea legs, and that's not a bad position politically uh, to go after the Democrats on.
4: Right. So it's it's just interesting you see right now, the, for the longest time, Nancy Pelosi kept the fractures behind closed doors. And you hear sources like you, uh, Bob Cusack, The Hill, reports that there's a fracture behind closed doors between Nancy Pelosi. But you wouldn't see it out front very rarely. You, right. Republicans actually get a microphone and they attack each other uh, and literally in the same hallway. So and it's great for reporters, but it's terrible, obviously, for the party. But at least, you know, you don't really need sources. All you need is cable TV or or a streaming service. So I want you to hear Andre Carson talk about Mm -hmm. dividing. Josh Gottheimer says, how dare you vote against condemning uh, the attacks against Israel and support Israel? There was many who abstained, including, uh, I think, 11 Democrats, including Andre Carson. Listen to the Indiana Congressman.
7: I think he's uh, uh, not acting in the role as a member of Congress. I think he's shown himself to be very emotional. Like most cowardly people, when you confront them, they're afraid. I'm unafraid of the guy. And if he wants to call us despicable, I'm saying he's a coward and he's a punk.
4: So, and then he went on to basically say, if you want to fight, we could do this differently. That's not
1: good, <laughs> right? No, that's not good. And listen, you know, uh, uh, Gottheimer feels very strongly about it. Uh, Carson does have a, big of a bit of a height advantage over guy- Gottheimer. So, uh, no, listen, this this is becoming pretty nasty and Gottheimer has clashed. Uh, Gottheimer is a centrist Democrat from New Jersey. Uh, And Carson is more on the left, of course. And and, and this 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 is going to get worse. I mean, we we have not heard those type of quotes uh, in a long time from Democrat on Democrat, uh, which, of course, are the best stories because, of course, the parties fight. But from our perspective, the the interparty battles are far more interesting.
4: Right. Uh, So yesterday, Axios wrote uh, Your Arch Enemy, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure you had uh, similar thoughts. Uh, Top officials believe that Joe Biden has been uh, at his best managing the early days, but privately they concede that things have never been worse politically since he took office. It's hard to imagine how things are going to brighten up his public image uh, uh, of everything that's going on right now. Crime, huge. Immigration, out of control. Inflation, no matter what he says, people are feeling it and hating it. Uh, Race, trust, uh, and two divisive wars, Ukraine and Israel. Obviously, doesn't matter what you and I think. It's very divisive in this country. So yep. do you do you blame Biden people for feeling – and knowing the majority of the party want a choice, do you blame Biden people for feeling pessimistic?
1: I, I tell you, Brian, I, I talked to a lot of Democrats, and, and some of them are thinking, OK, this is going to be a toss-up race. And some of them are – honestly, they're way overconfident, and they forgot about 2016 when they were overconfident in 2016 – the the numbers for Biden, uh, especially on Bidenomics, uh, are we wrong track, right track? Uh, they're they're abysmal uh, for Biden. And, and you know, Dean Phillips, congressman who's now running for president, has tried to get other Democrats to run against Biden, citing all the numbers and the age and all that kind of and the stats that say many many Democrats don't want Biden to run. Uh, so he's decided he's going to run. Of course, it's he's probably not going to be successful. But I think Democrats are. They really – they should not be overconfident because unless these economic numbers improve, I don't think Biden can win a second term. And we're a year away, so he's got some work to do.
4: Now, against Trump, if you look at the head-to-head, the only person who does better against Biden is Nikki Haley pretty consistently. Uh, Trump looks strong, and a lot of it has to do with his policies. The policies that were reversed are blowing up in Joe Biden's face, whereas at the border, Israel, and even Ukraine.
1: It's – yeah, it's it's a – I really think that Biden uh, and the White House are going to have to change course in some capacity. I don't know how because uh, this is not going to be like 2020. Biden can't campaign from his basement. COVID is over. Uh, He's going to have to run on his record, and whether it's Trump or Haley. And I think really the only person who could catch Trump uh, for the nomination is Haley. They're both doing well in the polls against Biden, as you said. I think this is this is a problem for Biden and and Trump or Haley whoever or whoever gets the nomination if it's somebody else can say are you better off uh, than you were four years ago and they can say no the economy was better mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people are going to vote that way remember Joe Biden barely won barely won forty three thousand uh, votes in three states it's this is going to be a tight election and when you have third parties like Cornell West and RFK Jr. running. Biden, I think, is the underdog right
4: now. It's just amazing because I think that the Republican field is hanging around because they think the court cases are the wild card. The, you know, because yes. if he's convicted of anything, the people's perception change. The independents say, I was thinking about it, but I just can't vote for somebody that was convicted. Or do they say this is unbelievably unfair? Nobody should be put through this. We were a lot happier back then. Things were better. They were crazy, but they were better. The Russian hoax didn't exist. It played two and a half years. Let's give him another shot.
1: That's the big question. I mean, uh, Joe Biden did win independence in 2020, and then a year later, in my home state of Virginia, outside of Washington, uh, Democrats lost that race, and and Democrats lost independence. So Biden obviously wanted Terry McCall, the Democrat, to win, uh, and he's lost independence now. And that's the big question: if Trump is convicted, would that change the dynamic for those independents? I'm skeptical. Maybe for some, it would. But, listen, I think a lot of people are going to vote on uh, the economy and bread and butter issues. And whatever you think of Trump, I just don't think whether you like him or or not, I don't think conviction is going to change dramatically. But that that is a big wild card, and that's obviously a huge concern for the Republican Party uh, as far as getting Biden out Uh of office.
4: Mike Pence is out. Were you surprised it happened then? I happen to be watching it live Saturday, getting ready for the show. And your thoughts about that, and will Tim Scott be next if he can't get on that stage?
1: I was surprised it was this early, but it shows you that if you're not having a good campaign, if your campaign doesn't catch fire, Mike Pence's never did. I, I really don't know what the strategy was uh, for his campaign. It was kind of baffling. I've known Pence uh, for more than 20 years, and when he was in Congress, he was a rebel and uh, uh, and took on, uh, took on George W. Bush on a big health care bill. Uh, You know, he really didn't take on Trump that much, so I I think it was surprising. But he's out. I think it's a big question of whether Tim Scott can even get to Iowa. Uh, And then, of course, that's what Nikki Haley wants. Uh, And one on one, yeah, they want yeah, the fewer the better. And and, and let's go to Iowa and let's see. And Trump is, you know, the polls show he's going to win big, but expectations are are quite big for Trump. So if he doesn't win big, it's going to be portrayed another way.
4: Bob Cusack, thank you. Back in a moment.
3: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: So, as we looked at the Donald, uh, excuse me, the the Hunter Biden investigation as it relates to Joe, uh, we know Hunter's a mess, and don't let anyone to say it's about Hunter. But now we find out. That Hunter got a $250,000 loan that he's not paid back from China in 2019. What was happening in 2019? Oh, his father was running for president. He got it in 2019. Isn't that interesting? Running for president, China gives him a loan for $250,000. Now, the big question is, where's all this money? Probably up his nose or whatever he decided to do with hookers. But the question is, you wanted to see money flowing in. Also, pseudo names. For emails that allowed Hunter Biden to be read in when he was vice president on all things related to Ukraine. Why were you using a pseudo email for your son to be in on all intelligence as it do with Ukraine? Is that the way a responsible politician acts that's been doing it for 45 years? What else has he been up to? And what's going on with his document investigation? Because I hear there's problems with that, too. Andrew McCarthy's coming up. We'll talk about that. Also, the president got a mini victory as he in his uh, civil trial. Don't move.
3: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Going into UC Berkeley, I was really helpful. And I was really hopeful of four years of education and learning and being alongside my peers. And now I'm looking at peers that are supporting terrorists, that are supporting violence, that are supporting innocent Israelis getting murdered. And it's hard to say because I feel so unsafe every single day going on campus. I feel unsafe sitting in classes next to peers that are supporting these terrible acts and listening to professors that are also supporting this. So unless this institutional damage is adjusted and changed, no, I will not feel safe at UC Berkeley as a Jewish student.
4: So that is a a student speaking up, saying what it's like on Berkeley campus. I could have gotten a student from Columbia, NYU, who is pro-Israel or Jewish, Jewish American, pro-Israel, whatever. That is not pro Hamas. They all Cornell, uh, Hunter College. They're saying the same thing. Anna McCarthy. Uh, Fox News contributor, former Assistant U.S. Attorney for Southern District of New York. We see the governor stepping up, saying there's going to be an aggressive, aggressive push against anti-Semitism. First off, as a human being who lived in this city for so many years, are you who have seen it all? Are you stunned what we're witnessing right now?
0: No, Brian. I'm the. I'm more frustrated than stunned. I wrote a book in 2010, which was actually a best-selling book called The Grand Jihad. About the Muslim Brotherhood in America, and the most important pro, uh, the most important project, aside from overall support for Hamas, which would be just not just uh, financial support but media support, uh, legal support, and the like. But the most important project that the Muslim Brotherhood has ever had in the United States was the Muslim Students Associations, which were begun. With just really a handful of campuses in the Midwest in the 1960s, they have grown in the ensuing 60 years to the point where they have multiple chapters on almost every United States and Canadian college campus. And they are, they're basically a factory for um, Sharia supremacist and anti Semitic literature. I mean, that's basically what it's all about. So they've been spewing this stuff out for three generations. And I think what we're now seeing, this has been coming for years. And like a lot of us tried to warn about it, you know, years and years ago.
4: It is pervasive, but what a terrible product. I would like to marginalize women, throw gays off buildings, uh, go ahead and uh, pray to a violent God who will do everything to wipe out anyone who will convert to the faith, the Muslim faith. Good luck with that. You can't get kids to get off their phone. But you have this message that's going to pack an auditorium?
0: Well, you know, the, the problem with this, with confronting Sharia supremacist ideology has always been that um, in, in any ideological contest, something always beats nothing. And, as crazy as their beliefs are, they believe them fervently, and instead of confronting them, and i i'm I'm with you. I've been saying for years, you need to get them under a spotlight and make them defend the crazy things that they say and believe. But instead, we basically put our head in the sand and we do things like we say, "Well, you know, look, they're they're really just anti-zionist. It's just a political argument. It's got nothing to do really with anti-Semitism. And I've been like, you know, really? I mean, if you look everywhere, everywhere the Muslim Brotherhood has tentacles. There's anti-Semitism, and that's that's because it's doctrinal. I mean, look at the Hamas charter. The Hamas charter has um, scriptural verses from uh, accepted Islamic scripture, the the Hadith, which talk about which talks about an end of times. War between Muslims and Jews, where rocks and trees are going to help the Muslims find and, and kill the Jews. Uh, it's in Islamic scripture that Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, was killed by being poisoned to death by a Jewish woman. Um, all of this stuff is doctrinal, and they teach it to to kids from you know the very youngest age, from the moment that they're able to accept instruction. So the thing is, with this, Brian, is we haven't wanted to see it because it's inconceivable to us in the West that people could believe these things, but they do.
4: It's just amazing, too, because it's caught in the Jewish community by surprise. You see so many of these mega donors pulling out of the University of Pennsylvania, pulling out of Harvard, pulling out of Columbia. They're outraged by it. Most are uh, Jewish, uh, obviously, and they just can't believe that a school that they give so much to, Democratic Party, who they uh, the stats say they support so fervently, are are the, are behind this. These are the people that will vote for Joe Biden that's actually dividing his party right now.
0: Yeah, well, I think, you know, part of the problem here is that American Jews overwhelmingly support the Democratic Party and American Muslim groups and groups connected to the Muslim Brotherhood do as well. And, and so do hard left groups. And I think, the Jewish community in America, many parts of it have deluded themselves into thinking that if they, you know, believed all the right things and said all the right things and went to all the right Black Lives Matter demonstrations and voted faithfully for Democrats, that it was all that it would all be fine, that these guys would all get along. And, you know, when their Jewish political allies needed them, mm-hmm. they'd be there for them. And the fact of the matter is that there's been seething anti-Semitism under this. The whole time, and if they're, you know, if they're now, t- the people in the Jewish political community in America, if they're now taken aback, it's because they deluded right. themselves into thinking these people were really their allies when they never were.
4: NYU, Hunter, and Cornell all major anti-Semitic protests, pro Hamas in some cases, certainly anti-Semitic writings and graffiti. Here's Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat, obviously, twenty-two.
8: I'm sickened and frightened by the news that has come out of Cornell University where over the weekend messages appeared on a non-campus online forum calling for violence, violence against the school's Jewish community. The incident targeting Cornell's Jewish community is utterly revolting but unfortunately it was not an isolated occurrence. Across the country, on campuses and public spaces, the ancient poison of anti-Semitism has found new life.
4: So he's realizing that, and a lot of people in his party don't see it. Talib doesn't see it. Corey Bush doesn't see it. AOC doesn't see it. Uh, uh, Rashid, as I mentioned, Rashid Elon Omar doesn't see it. So um, this fracture is showing itself now with this war that Israel is forced to pr- prosecute. Yeah. Well, uh,
0: you know, look, I, I think. With respect to Schumer and other Democrats, when people like me raised this stuff over the years, and it's not like I invent, you know, like, like this popped into my head one day, um, I went into prosecuting terrorism cases in the 1990s, believing, uh, just like they did, uh, that we weren't really dealing with a, a deep seated Um, ideologically based problem. I wanted to believe that everybody was a moderate and it was just a bunch of knuckleheads in Jersey City who wanted to blow everything up. But then you get into this and you realize there is a real ideology here. And when I tried to expose it and others like me tried to expose it, the Chuck Schumers and Democrats of the world said we were a bunch of racist Islamophobes. And now they're dealing with the fallout of it.
4: Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, you made your bed. Now lie in it. Let's fix it, though. Meanwhile, over to the Trump news and excuse me, the Joe Biden news. The House Oversight Committee revealed a short time ago that Hunter Biden received a two hundred fifty thousand dollar loan from a Chinese business associate in twenty nineteen months before his father announced his presidential run and has not paid it back. Uh, that after a two hundred thousand dollar payment from his brother James to Joe. Uh, that paid off his Delaware home. We don't know where that came from. If you're doing this investigation, what questions do you have now? Well,
0: yeah, I think, Brian, the the House investigators are doing a great job um, because they've gotten this thing very far with a limited investigative arsenal. If you really wanted to get to the bottom of this and get to the bottom of it quickly, um, you'd need the tools that a prosecutor has. So... What the House has been doing, I think, is you know they find a the suspicious transaction and then they dig underneath it because that's sort of the limits of their powers. If you were a federal prosecutor, what you would have done by now is subpoenaed all the bank accounts. I would have been neck deep in the bank accounts of all these different Bidens, you know, years ago. Um, Weiss has had this investigation, the special, the so-called special counsel, since. 2018 2019 whenever it is that he got assigned to it and other than killing the statute of limitations so that they couldn't actually bring yep. any charges based on financial fraud i don't see that he's done any investigating but it's clear from the stuff that the house is able to come up with that there's mm-hmm. plenty to investigate
4: oh quick on the trump civil trial uh, they said that he does not lose his business licenses while the trial is going on. A minor victory, but they are trying to bankrupt him the best they can and make it impossible for him to do business here. It looks like a personal vendetta. There's nobody hurt. Read this story over the weekend that in real estate communities, even though it's Trump and he's unique. They are getting worried because they always inflate the prices of the things they have to get loans and whether they pay them back or not. There's always an appraiser, but evidently with Trump, there wasn't an appraiser that satisfied it. Uh, This judge and this attorney general now his kids are going to speak on the stand. How's this trial going? What should people look for?
0: Well, I think what we should instead of um, pointing out there that it's an attorney general and a judge, because that sounds like legitimate law enforcement. These are two elected Democrats, uh, both of them, and um, the attorney general, Tish James, ran on a vow to get Trump. And in en she got the elected Democrat judge of her dreams. So this really is a political um, vendetta. I think Trump already knows he's lost the case because the judge told him that even before the trial started. So it's just a matter of how much they're going to ring him up for in the way of disgorgement damages. And Trump is fighting this as part of his political campaign because he can't fight it legally. It's already... You know, it's completely rigged legally. Um, so I think that he'll just continue to attack the people who are bringing the case and pointing out, as you just did, that the, no one actually got harmed here. know, the idea that they're going to go after him for $250 million in damages in a case that the prosecutors wouldn't bring because there wasn't enough evidence of crime Uh, And where there's no victims is just astonishing. But it's a it's a political persecution.
4: It is. But how does it play out? So if you feel as though and not many people argue with you that he is going to lose his business licenses and they're going to argue to try to take his property, I don't know. How does it work through the legal system on the civil side?
0: Yeah, I think it goes to the appellate division, first department after this nonsense of the trial is over. So I think what Trump has decided is if he's ever going to get any legal relief, it's going to have to be on appeal where he can show that this was all rigged and there were no real damages and um, that, you know, the judge gave every bounce of the ball to the to the AG. Uh, He's got to win the case on appeal. So it goes in the New York system. It goes from the uh, Supreme Court, which is their lower court, the trial court where it is now. It goes to the appellate division and then finally to the New York Court of Appeals, which is the highest court. So I don't think he's going to lose his – if if Angeron tries to take his business licenses away from him, I think the appellate division will freeze that until the appeal is decided. And he'll probably – it'll probably take a couple of years to, to hash it out.
4: Andy, why do you think he shows up every day? Is it because he's so personal? Is there a method – is there a tactic to this, you think?
0: Yeah, I think there is, Brian, It's that. As I said, the judge basically told him he already lost the legal case even before the trial started. So Trump has decided that the prosecutions against him by the activist Democrats and Democratic elected officials and the Biden Justice Department, they are his campaign. And they kind of have to be because he's going to have to spend so much time in court, you know, for the next eight, nine months. So I think. He's decided to fight this politically rather than legally, and when there's high-profile moments like the beginning of this trial a few weeks ago or the couple of days where Michael Cohen shows up to testify, he's going to be there front and center and use it to the extent that he can exploit it for purposes of his political campaign. I don't know if it's going to work, but it's it's at least a rational strategy.
4: Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, the first, as of right now, and I'm just catching you off guard, as of right now, out of the four court cases, what do you think is going to be first, criminal?
0: Oh, I think the um, they're going to try to push the Washington January 6th case to trial. The thing is, the, this immunity issue that Trump has raised um, – I think he's going to be able to appeal that prior to trial. And if if he can get that up to the appellate court and then the Supreme Court, he may be able to push that back, in which case you probably get the Florida case first. But even that's going to be hard to get to trial because of the the classified information issue. So Trump's strategy is delay. He's trying to push it back as hard as he can. I don't think the Atlanta case is going to be ready to go to trial or that there's much there against Trump. And I don't think this uh, Alvin Bragg case, I don't think he even wants mm-hmm. to try it. It's too much of an embarrassment. So it's a, a question of J- Jack Smith, the prosecutor, is trying to get the Washington case to trial as fast as he can. He's got a March 4th date. And Trump is trying to come up with issues that he can get the case up to the Court of Appeals, because I think he thinks between a Washington jury and this judge who's hostile to him that you know, he'll, he'll get convicted if the case goes on time in March.
4: He's Andy McCarthy. There's nothing he can't handle but for a fee. Andy, thanks so much. News <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Former U.S. attorney. Uh, thanks so much, Andy. Uh, back in a moment. To wrap things up, this is Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: Uh, Halloween is almost here,
3: and tonight at the White House, the Bidens hosted trick-or-treaters. Yeah, things got off to a rough start when Biden told the kid, nice zombie costume, the kid was like, I'm you. <laughs> I-, I don't think Biden's quite up with the times. Whenever he saw a Taylor Swift costume, he was like, Greta Garbo? Yeah? Gene Harlow? But it was adorable when Biden asked kids, uh, who are you supposed to be? And a little less adorable when he asked, and who am I again? Yeah. <laughs> But it was nice watching Biden hand out candy, except when he reached into the wrong pocket and gave out a Flomax pill. It's like, no, you'll thank me when
4: you're older. So let me ask something: who who watched tonight show arbitrarily and spawned that monologue. It was it Eric, Pete or Allison. That was Allison. That was Allison. Because I for some reason, uh, my son, before he went back to college, he has a tonight show on DVR. I have not taken it off. But I've queued it up a few times and been utterly disappointed. So I almost watched it this morning. But that was actually very funny and accurate, right? Not offensive. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, it was actually true. I mean, the guy is old. They did one thing on SNL talking about he's going to climb a ladder and how crazy is. That is the least offensive thing possible. And some people are saying that's a signal on the left that Joe Biden's got to go. And they're trying to give him a signal. That's not he's got to go. What they got to do is, you got to look this up, Jason Sudeikis, when it looked like Biden was out of it, and they were all on the stage together, and he had fallen like a rock, and Bernie Sanders had risen up, and I think Mayor Pete, Jason Sudeikis played Biden, and they did it so funny that as soon as Biden came back, Jason Sudeikis, in all his stardom, lost the job because he was so accurate and funny, I might add, about him being out of it, forgetting things, and being old. Hey, Teddy and Booker T comes out. It's going to come out in one week from today. Excited about it. You will love this great American story. Check it out, BrianKilme.com. First stop, Red Bank, New
6: Jersey, The Vogel.